Welcome to the Italian Football Podcast with John Solano, Carlo Garganese and Nima Tuvali. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Italian Football Podcast. I'm Carlo Garganese and for all our first time listeners, this is our free weekly episode which we do every Monday reviewing the the weekend Serie A action and all the biggest talking points in Italian football. If you want to support the Italian Football Podcast and receive all of our content throughout the week, including our weekly Q&A episode every Tuesday, where we answer all of your questions, plus the weekly Thursday midweek review show, plus interviews, post-match reaction, and and much, much more, then go to patreon.com slash TIFP and you can become a subscriber for just $2.99 a month plus VAT. Um, Also, thank you everyone for your support. We we only started this, this free show in August, and we now have over 1,500 downloads averaged per episode. Um, so thank you very, very much um, for your support. Uh, keep giving us those five-star ratings on, on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever, wherever you uh, listen to us. It, it really, really, it really helps us and uh, allows us to, to do what we do. So, so big thank you. Okay, right. Let's let's get into the calcio now, um, and let's start with Napoli. Okay, Napoli, goal crazy Napoli. Um, another big win. Well, another another game full of goals. Anyway, uh, they make it ten wins in a row. Three-two uh, thriller uh, against against Bologna. Um, they now have forty-two goals in fourteen games. They're averaging three a game. Um, they have 17 goals in four games in the Champions League. Um, they're just unstoppable. They're an unstoppable attacking force. And uh, Bologna really did give them a game, though, uh, in this match. And you know, for for a long time, they really did threaten to to, to take points off them. They they took the lead uh, in this game, but Napoli uh, immediately came back um, before half time to to take it in one all at half time. Um, went ahead in the second half. Then, then Bologna got an equaliser through a merit error, and then Ossiman um, won them all, all the points. Uh, in truth, uh, they probably should have had double the amount of goals. They actually had an xG of four point four eight against Bologna, which is absolutely insane xG numbers. Um, but you know, they got the three points. They got another win, um, and they answered more questions. Again, we, we we've said on this pod that every question that's been thrown at at Napoli this season um, and during this winning run, um, they've they've answered and they did it again here. They went behind and they showed that they had the mental strength to to recover from 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 going behind. Um, and you know they got that goal before half time, which was really really crucial. But then even after going two one up and seeing their goalkeeper Meretz make a, such a shocking blunder to make it two all, they still again had the confidence, the mental strength to, to go away and, and create more and more chances and then finally get the get the winner. So, you know, they've answered another question. They also answered the question of how they would do without Anguissa in the centre of midfield and, and also Ragnani, who was who was already out. Um, and, they you know, they won without two, two key players. So, 
Nima. I mean, they, they again, like I said, they, 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 how do you stop this? How do you stop this Napoli? Well, I mean, their appetite for goals this season is, is just insatiable. I mean, it's the fifth consecutive game across all competitions. They've scored minimum three goals in. 14 games played, like you said, and nine games of, you know, across all competitions that they've scored a minimum of three goals in. And even last, yesterday, when Juan Jesus, who is an absolute defensive disaster and liability, and Alex Meret, who, who is a liability and does make howlers every now and again, they come back from that and they can, they, they turn it around and they win. Um, and they're able to win and they know how to handle it. And above all, they've got a manager who, whenever he makes a substitution, it, it always seems to give the desired response. I mean, yesterday, he brought on Osimhen and Lozano. They both scored. Same thing as last week, when all three of the substitutes scored against Cremonese from 1-1 to make it 4-1. Again, the depth. And again, the, the, the Spalletti having a squad that is fully adapted to his football and, and is fully behind him and reacting to what he what he wants them to do. It's, it's, I, I, I don't think this is just form. Last season, when Napoli were on a crazy form run and, and were in great form in the beginning of the season, they, it, it didn't, they didn't seem like, they didn't look like this. They didn't hammer teams like this. It felt more it was down to maybe the individual games that were a little bit lucky here and there. But this, is, this isn't luck. Napoli are dismantling side after side after side, week in, week out, systematically dismantling them. And when the first, when plan A doesn't work, no worries, bring in Lozano or Osimen or whoever it is that day that starts on the bench, throw in plan B, and it's normal serve, goal-scoring service resumed. They, they really look, to me, I think they're the best team in Europe right now together with Man City. I, I don't think anyone... Them and yeah, maybe Bayern Munich as well. I think the three of them—they're—they're they're in a league of their own. The football they play—they just insatiable, absolutely insatiable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it's, it's incredible, really. Um, I mean, they're such a delight to watch. Um, you know, they—they—it's—it's it's funny actually because this this season, um, not just in in Serie A, but but you know, there's there's there are the so-called underdogs. I mean, I didn't think anybody would have expected Napoli at the start of the season to be doing this. I know you were big on them, but to, to be top of the Serie A. And there are other teams, you know, in Germany, Union Berlin, uh, you know, Lorient have been doing really well in, in, in Liga, uh, Arsenal at top of the, of the Premier League. So, I mean, it does, in a way, it does, um, you know, restore... I don't want to say restore, but it, it does, you know, it does show that there is still a little bit of romance uh, left in football, and it isn't just all the big teams just completely hammering everyone and, and, and winning the league every single season. And I'm sure as the season goes on, in most of those leagues, you know, Man City will probably end up winning the Premier League again. PSG will certainly end up winning uh, Liga. Bayern Munich will, will certainly end up winning the Bundesliga. But, but you know. In Serie A, I mean, for, for, we have to. You have to say that Napoli are, you know, they're, they're right in there. The big question is, can they maintain this? That is, that's been what has um, has uh, you know let them down because I think in the in the last uh, kind of like five or six years, this is the this is the third time in which they've won all but two of their first nine or ten games, and and you know we've seen them not being able to maintain it in the in the last um, few you know, a few months of the season. And, um, you know, so the, the big question is, you know, can they do it this time? Um, with with Kvaratskhelia, you know, it's, um, 
I mean, he was unbelievable again. He created four big chances in this game. Um, that's the most, uh, or the joint most by a Serie A player in six years. He only actually got the one assist and he didn't score. I mean, even when he's not, even when he's not scoring, the guy is, is unbelievable. And I, what, what, what I found incredible about Kvaratskhelia is that still in that, like the, the 89th and 90th minute, he was still making 50, 60 yards runs from the left back position, taking the ball up the field. I mean, even when, and he looked tired and he was still doing that. I mean, the guy is, the, 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 the guy is, is just electric. He really is electric. And I just picked out a stat from him just before we, we, we recorded. Gerlach Scalia is on a 32-game unbeaten run for club and country. 32 games. He hasn't lost since uh, his time at Ruben Kazan, I think back in, I think in March. Um, so he, he, hasn't, he hasn't lost a game for, um, for seven months. He's won 25 and drawn seven of those. And he's won 12 games in a row for Napoli and Georgia. So I think that also shows just what an impact this guy has on both his his club team and also the Georgia national team, who are also on a on a long long run Breton run, um, and you know yes, Napoli showed chinks in defence. They conceded two goals, and they have been conceding quite a lot of goals recently. They conceded two against AX, and they also were quite open in that game. Um, and you know, Meretz made a massive blunder. He also almost gave away another two. For me, he's still the weak point of the team, and I still I still think. There is that consideration, should they go out and buy a, a goalkeeper in January? I do still think that's a valid question to ask. Um, will it upset the, the dressing room dynamic? Maybe that's the, the that's what they also, that's what they need to weigh up. Um, but but despite that, despite you know the defence leaking goals, they create so many chances and score so yeah. many goals that it almost doesn't matter that they concede two. And and well, that's the worry I have. Um, I don't. I I think they were in a. This is a now or never situation with Meret, and I think they did the right choice because the question was, okay, what do we, you know? Either we sell this guy, or we actually make him the first, and we, we accept that he will make blunders until until we know where we stand when he's had a full season as the number one goalkeeper, and then we make a decision: do we continue with Meret or do we find another goalkeeper? I think that was the right decision. But if we're looking for the for the for the short term, you know excellence then they should have gone after Keylor Navas. Keylor Navas at this Napoli side then you're you're you've got a world-class goalkeeper even though he's past his best he's still a fantastic goalkeeper I still think he's a world-class keeper and he's far too good to be rotting away on PSG's bench um mm. so so that, that that's the only thing I mean that's why I gave them a nine and a half and not a ten this summer for their Mercato which I think was fantastic it's the best Mercato any Italian team has done since the summer of 2009 when Inter got rid of Ibrahimovic and for that money uh, got Eto and for that money left over got Lucio, Snyder, Milito and Motta. So th- that's the kind of mercato they've had this summer. It's been absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I I still think that defensively they they can't go into this mode where they're like, oh, it doesn't matter if we concede three, we'll score five. That's dangerous. That's the kind of thinking that has cost Napoli in the past. Um, and 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 that's the kind of thing that I want Spalletti to show that he can handle, um, and I want him to handle that by not playing Juan Jesus, by playing Ustigor, for example. Um, I want him to handle that by by also showing a little bit of more tactical restraint in in instances. I felt like yesterday against Bologna, it was a little bit too open, especially towards the end. And if if Bologna were a better organized team, they would have capitalized on that. 
that's the first time I've seen that this season where they were so they were hanging on by the skin of the teeth almost desperate at the end um, but they got the job done and there are they, they are the most informed team not only the Serie A but amongst the most informed teams in Europe there's no doubt about that um, but there there are question marks for sure and also we have to you know if you look at the Serie A table I think out of the top uh, nine sides currently in the the, the the top nine sides in the city. I think Napoli have only played two of them, so there is that aspect as well. Mm. Um, and 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 they do have you know big games left. They've played Milan and they beat Milan absolutely, but they do have most of their big sides to play. And Milan have kind of I think Milan have played seven of those nine teams currently in the mm. top nine in the city. So I wouldn't do a victory dance just yet. I would. Be a little bit more cautious, uh, but for me, this is this has got everything. This has got the sh- it's it's a two horse race. I don't see how Inter or Juve or anyone else can get involved. This is a Milan v Napoli Scudetto race. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll move on to, to 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 Milan now. Then they they won two one against Verona. Late winner from from Sandro Tonali. Uh, I have to say, it, Milan got really lucky in this game. For, for me, this was. Easily their worst performance of the season. Uh, I think maybe they were just exhausted after they, the, the game against Chelsea where they, they had to play with 10 men for, for, for so much of the game. And, you know, they've also had injuries, obviously. So a lot of these players have been overplayed, uh, particularly Giroud. He, he looked exhausted in, the, in this match, mm-hmm. him in particular. But I, I actually thought that, uh, I, I thought all of them were poor. I thought the only Milan players that came out with any credit are were Tonali because he only because he scored the winner, not because he he was particularly great um, throughout the match. Um, Origi had the odd flash off the bench. Um, I thought that Tia Tior, um, when he came off the bench, his on for his debut, he made two big big blocks, but it was only like a you know cameo performance from him. I, I can't really pick out a single Milan player who impressed in in this game. Uh, I, in fact, I, I I actually think they deserve to lose this match. Um, Verona. In their first performance, the uh, first game under Bocchetti, I thought played a really, really good game. Uh, I thought Verdi was really, really bright in attack, caused Milan lots and lots of problems. Tameze, uh, who went off uh, injured, I thought he was he was the dominant player in the centre of midfield. He, he really did control it. Um, Veloso, um, I know obviously the own goal, but his delivery from set pieces and crosses was, was, was superb. Um, Verona, Really were unlucky. They hit the bar. They had big, big chances. Um, they they should have won this game. And, and Milan, I mean, some people will say, well, it's the mark of champions not getting the result when you when you didn't play well. You could say that, or you could just say they were lucky. And I, and I think they were just lucky in this game. They deserved to lose, and they got away with it. And for that reason, and for the reasons you've just said, and I actually had the point of that myself. You know, Milan have had a very tough start to the season, much tougher than Napoli. Yet here they are, and they're only three points behind Napoli, which I I find incredible, really, that they're only three points now. Because if you compare how Milan have played this season so far, they've been good, but I don't think they've been great. Uh, and compare that to Napoli, who have been, funnily enough, with the exception of the Milan game, which which Milan probably deserved, to, well, they definitely deserve to beat Napoli. Apart from that head-to-head, Napoli have definitely been head and shoulders above everyone else in the league. Yet they're only three points above Milan with a much harder run of fixtures to come. And so Milan are, are Milan are in a really, really good position 
they're in a really really good position and they 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 should be really really pleased to to have come out of this encounter with the three win with the three points oh undoubtedly um it wasn't a good game let's not let's not kid ourselves but i'm i'm tired of hearing milan being lucky uh because you can't just be luck you, you luck runs that you can't be consistently lucky for two and a half years um and, and a lot of people saying oh they were so lucky they were so lucky they were so lucky they, they were so lucky they won the scudetto 86 points that's not luck um it, it, it's more than that it's it, it's it's because they put themselves in these situations and they do just about enough to win um, and I think, but, I, but, but, but if I were to be critical, they don't, you know, okay, Ante Rebic is a different kind of striker, but Giroud is really important for them. And he's, like you said, he's starting to look really, really, really tired. And Leal is looking like he's out of form, but yet they continue to win. And that is so, so strong. Um, they, it, It's weird. It's like no matter who plays, if it's Gabia, if it's Tiav, whoever it is, it, it, it just seems to work in the Serie A for them. And I don't think that's down to luck. Um, I think that's down to a structure. Um, and even and, and, and that the ability to even win when you're not playing well. Um, and they keep doing that, especially in the Serie A. I think they've shown that in the Serie A, they are, they are padroni. They, they, they act like they, they own the Serie A. They're not worried about that. They, they know that they will resolve it. They have got that belief about them, um, and and that's something that I think they're unique in in the Serie A to have. I don't see many other Serie A teams to have that kind of belief when they're not playing well that we're going to win this, and 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 they always and they and they end up doing that. So I I, I do think that yes, this is this is not a good game, but uh, this was not a good game, and yes, they look a little bit out of form. But I'm looking at the upcoming fixtures they've got. I mean, it's not. It doesn't exactly scare you. They host Monza, then a really important Champions League game away against Dinamo Zagreb, then Torino away. That's tough. Then Salzburg at home, and then Spezia at home, Cremonese away, then Fiorentina at home. Now, Fiorentina at home, the the two Champions League games, and Torino away. Those are the tough ones. Other than that, we're talking clean sweep before the World Cup. And I wonder if they're, you know, if I was a Napoli fan, I would be worried if Milan are within one or two points or even ahead of Napoli uh, before the World Cup. Um, And if I'm a Milan fan, I find, I take, that's actually really encouraging for me, thinking, Mm -hmm. hang on, we've got some really easy games left and we could actually be topping the Serie A going into the World Cup. Yeah. No, and that that's where it comes into what we said before about um, about uh, you know can can Napoli maintain it? Um, I'm, and I'm also specifically saying about psychologically, you know, how will they react if they go into the World Cup break and Milan are still on their coattails or level with them or even above them? And that will be such a hammer blow to Napoli to have played this well, to have been you know scoring so many goals against everyone, blowing teams away. And yet Milan somehow are still with them, you know? And and that that is that will be psychologically a massive blow. And you're absolutely right. Milan should should win every single game now until until the World Cup. Um and uh, you know, and then they start the new year with Salernitana. Um so you know they they Milan have put themselves in an excellent position in Serie A and they just need to 
do their job, uh, hopefully do it in Europe as well. And, and you know, they'll, they'll be very pleased well, that, with, their, that, that, with, their, with their work the thing, in the first half of the season. That, that's the thing, though, as well, that I think that given how tight their group is, there is a real risk they end up last in that group, which means not even Europa League football. Well, that would Which be the worst that thing they, that can happen. That would be the worst thing that can happen for Napoli if they if they don't qualify. Exactly, that's exactly what I mean. And it wouldn't mm. surprise me if it if that, you know because because I I still think this Milan lacks European pedigree. I think they lack the maturity and and yeah maturity and and um, the the mental strength to 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 deliver in Europe as well. I still think they look a little bit anxious in Europe, um, and I think. So if that happens and they finish last, then I think we can just might as well give them the Scudetto already because <laughs> a Milan who only has one game a week going into yeah. the after the World Cup, it's, you know... Well, we've, seen in, the last two, we've seen in the last two seasons yeah. that the, the team that, that went out in the group stage just, you know, just flies hit away, new, hit a new gear in the, in the new year. First Milan last season and then yeah, into the season before. before. Um, yeah. Okay, another team that is flying up there and the only team that is... Um, unbeaten in Serie A along with, with Napoli and has really, really surprised us is Atalanta who won again um, at, the, at the weekend um, they won they won 1-0 um, and it, the goal was scored um, uh, sorry, 2-1 sorry, correction, 2-1 against Sassuolo uh, and the winner was, was scored by uh, Adamola Lukman um, so I just want to I just want to focus on him actually, on Lukman um, because he's been a he's been an absolute revelation for 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 for, for Atalanta this season. He's scored four goals. He's got an assist. They they only signed him for for fifteen million um, from Leipzig, and he looks like another incredible find by the the Atalanta transfer team, the skeleton team. Uh, you know, this is you know somebody that was branded as a wonder kid back in in two thousand seventeen when England won the. The under twenty World Cup, we all remember that. That was England's first world title at, at any level since nineteen sixty six. So we, we heard about it a lot. Um, <laughs> and he he actually scored England's equaliser against Italy in the in the semis of that, and he's actually been admired by a lot of Italian scouts uh, and clubs because of that, because he because because of his performance against Italy. And and he hasn't, you know, in the five years since then, he he hasn't fulfilled his potential. He's been at Leipzig. Everton, Fulham, and Leicester on loan. He 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 rejected Nigeria for years because he believed he had a future with England. You know he was put up in maybe not in the same bracket as a, as a, as a Phil Foden, for example, from that team. But he was, you know, the, the belief was that he would become a reg, England regular, and he was part of this new golden generation of of English footballers. And for that reason, you know, Nigeria because of his Nigerian background, he. You know, they tried to call him up multiple times and he rejected them and he rejected them and he rejected them. But eventually, you know, it comes to a point where he wasn't developing in his club career as, as you know, and, and as a result, he uh, he eventually declared for Nigeria this year. And when that happened, I think everybody, certainly in English football, just saw it as, well, that's kind of like the sign that he's not going to make it as a, as a top player. Um, you know, when a player decides not to declare for, for England and, and goes to a, "Quote unquote smaller nation," then then you know that's the that 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 shows they're not going to be the player everyone thought they would. But you know, Atalanta have resurrected him. He looks like a top talent. You know, he's both footed, he's creative, he's very very tactically adaptable, flexible. You know, he can 
play in many many different roles and and move in different areas of the field and um, very total footballer and you know he's been probably along with Coop Miners probably their best their best yeah. player this season and and you know yeah. they're flying there now like I said one of only two unbeaten teams in Serie A yes they're overperforming a little bit. Um, they have Lazio, Napoli and Inter coming in the next month. And I think that will tell us, really, won't it? That will tell us how far this Atalanta side can go. I I, I see them dropping. I don't see them, certainly do not see them as Scudetto challenges. I think even Gasparini said that himself after the game against Sassuolo. But I do feel that, that you know, they are building another really exciting team. And Lukman is certainly, certainly a, a huge, huge part of that. He is, and and their defense has been really good, and 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 the two two assists this weekend came by Brandon Soppy, and the summer signing they bought from Udinese, if I'm not mistaken. I was surprised mm-hmm. surprised when Udinese sold sold that to them, um, sold, sold him to them, um, and 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 also Caleb Ocoli, uh and Scalvini, whose contract expires in the summer. Um, they've got they've got some really interesting defenders as well, young players, and it's going to be really interesting to see how. If they how they handle Lazio, Napoli, and Inter. I mean, I I I think in a it, it wouldn't surprise me if they only came away with one or two points from that from those three games, because uh, I think Lazio and Napoli have the firepower they have is so is so overwhelming that I think that it's going to be interesting to see how their defense handles that. Inter is a different Inter. We don't really know with Inter, you know, what Inter you'll see. I mean, will Lukaku be back? Will he even be good enough? You know, how, how will Brozovic? I mean, all, all, there's so many, so many questions there. And also, Simone Inzaghi has kind of changed Inter to, to play a little bit more deeper and a bit more similar to Conte, as opposed to the, mm. you know, passing, retaining possession football we saw, free-flowing football we saw last season. So so maybe their best chance is there. But no, they, um, they, they, they I, I think they will drop. But I do think they will probably. I think they'll drop below Lazio, Roma, and and I think we'll see them kind of regress to the mean over the next month or so. Yeah, I'd expect that. Um, a point on on Sassuolo because um, they they have been a, a little bit improved. They were they were I thought they were unlucky uh, last week again the week before rather against Inter. Um, but uh, I thought that in this game it was a deserved win for Atalanta. They created a lot of chances. Um, you know, but there were there were some pluses for Sassuolo. I thought Fratesi was 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 fantastic again in midfield. The more and more I, I, I watch Fratesi, the more and more I'm convinced that this is somebody who is, mm. if not ready now, he definitely next season he will be ready oh, yeah. to join to join he's, a big he's club. The, he's he's the next player they're going to sell. He's their next big name sale next summer. He yeah. he's shown that this he this is this is the this season he after the Scamaccas and Raspadoris and everyone left. This was his season to step up his game. He has, and, and he has done, done that, yeah. and he's absolutely done that. And I think he's he's showing the the the, the you know people calling him a poor man's Barella. Um, I understand why they say that, but I don't I think see he's it. a poor. I see, I see, I see him as a uh, a mix between Barella and Marquisio. I see. Thank I see, you. I, That's what I was. I see. Say. I, I see a see... bit of both. I don't think he's exactly one or the other. I think he has bits of both players. I think exactly. he has Barella. He has Barella's drive up the field, you know, where the way he drives and he and yeah. he and he and he, and he, and he, and he shows that intensity. Whereas I think with Marquisio, he also shows that that um, I mean, Barella has that tackling ability and, and phys- physical those physical qualities to bully opponents. I see that in him as well, but I also see him being somebody that can, yeah, can can protect as well. 
Yeah, well, that's like, exactly not as, what not I as well, to not say. as well I, I, as Marquisio. Not as well. I think yeah. he's more of a box to box. He's more of a box yeah. to box than Marquisio was. Maybe mm-hmm. a Marquisio went earlier on in his career rather than yeah, the Marquisio earlier in his career that, yeah. that we saw well, later this, that's on. That's what yeah. I wanted to say. That's what I wanted to say. I think he's. Um, um, I, I think it's unfair to call him a poor man's Barella because Barella is a completely different player. I think in the way that he's developed as well. But I do see why, like you said, a mix. He's got traits that remind me of that remind of Barella for sure. But it's it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. I think that he Roma, has that fire uh, in his game that Barella has. Yeah. You know, when Barella was I, before I, I, Barella I think, kind of had that dip. He was, you know, there was that. He was a fiery player. You know, he has that. He has that in him. He has that that grinta. I think that yeah. that uh, that and, will that think, can make him a top player. I think Roma are looking at him and they're just rubbing their hands. They need they, they that midfield needs Fratesi. And I think, well, and I hope I said, remember sake, I said, remember I said it at the start of the season that this is this was a weakness of, of Roma. They needed a top central yeah. midfielder, and and if they'd have got him, I think that really could have made the difference for them. I mean, for them. me, it's it's a norm, it's a natural shoe in. He is from Rome. He has history with with the club. He would suit in well there. I think he would suit in perfectly in in uh, <clears throat> excuse me in Mourinho's uh, Mourinho's uh, Roma. I think he he if he doesn't go in the in January, he will go next summer, and I think Roma. They need to move so that they don't lose him, um, because I think he would be ideal for 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 the football that they play and, and the system. Yeah, I, I think it's it's just he it just takes every box. Yeah, I mean I would take him at Juventus in a heartbeat as well. But um, anyway, um, shout out also to to Luca D'Andrea, eighteen years old. He got his first assist in Serie A. Really, really nice assist. Uh, really small player, left foot. Uh, fantastic goal by Kiria. Kiriakopoulos um, with a left yeah. volley into the roof and that. that. That was a, it was a good game. It was a very good game. Um, okay, let's move on to Juventus, the Turin derby. And Vlaovic gives Allegri a, um, I want to say a stay of execution, but um, I don't know if, um, if Agnelli actually really had the, had the, the, <laughs> the blade in his hand to, 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 to execute Allegri. Um, because, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if he ever is going to get rid of him. But he's definitely, um, yeah, he's definitely bought himself, bought himself some time. Um, I, I, I thought that, um, I actually thought this was, I mean, the, the bar is very low, but I actually think that this was Juventus' best performance of the season. Um, I, they, I thought they created... I thought you were good. I thought, I thought they created... Good. I thought they create quite a few, quite a few big chances. They had an XG of I think just under two point five. They didn't really concede much. I think the only chance, real chance, that Torino had was just before Juventus scored when Milanchuk had a really good chance and he put it over. Um, but apart from that, I thought that Juventus, um, without really playing well as in terms of a team, which which they never do, but in terms of creating chances. You know, I thought that they they they, they created plenty. Um, I think that I mean they went back to a three-five-two. I mean Allegri, you know, seesaws every game from one formation to the other. But you know, my my takeaway from this is just stick with that formation now. Just well, just, just give it just give season, it a run. It? Just give it a run of five to ten games. If you lose the next one, just stick with it. Let's just give it five to ten games because it can't get any worse than just swapping formation game to game, confusing these players even more. You had a good game for this with a 3-5-2. Yes, Juventus don't have any patterns of play, even in this game, even with a 3-5-2. But at least with a 3-5-2, I think it's easier for players to understand their positions and their roles within the team in a 3-5-2. You know well, Juve were exactly. balanced. They looked balanced. They looked balanced in defence. Yeah. They, looked, they looked balanced positionally in attack. I thought they were good in attack. I'm surprised that they created so much as they did. 
against Torino. Um, I thought they approached the game brilliantly. I thought Vlaovic was just fantastic. Yeah, he he looked fired up. I think all of Juve looked fired up, um, and they finally played the three five two. Everyone looked played in their natural normal positions, and he and and they looked they looked well. They looked good. They looked like a team that that had something. You know, if we if if you hadn't watched Juventus all season and you only watched that, you actually would you know you would have you would have been pretty excited about like mm. okay, there's actually something there. I but, wouldn't go that far, but, but yeah. No, I'm okay. not, you know, I, I think you would. But then again, you do, do you've been doing the "I hope Allegri dies" dance for about a year and a half now, so <laughs> you know it's <laughs> it is what it is. But my my, my you know I, Listen, I think they they, they, they they scored off a dead ball, Nima. Their ability, inability yeah. to create, they and created score and open a lot. Play. They created chances. They, they did so against a team, a Torino, who is is a pain in the butt. They 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 they. they they didn't allow Torino to impose themselves. Vanja Milinkovic-Savic, the goalkeeper, was Torino's by far best player. Mm-hmm. And if he hadn't been that good, they would have lost 2-3-0. I think, you mm-hmm. know, I get every, everything you said about Juve and Allegri up until this point. is it, What we've criticised is fair, but you can't take away that they did play against the Torino side that has been an absolute pain in the butt for everyone. To, to face, and they did so really well. I've they said, I've said it was Juventus' best performance of the season, but it's but we have to weigh up both sides. It's Juventus' best performance of the season, but it wasn't. I wouldn't, you know, I'm not going to start saying it was an amazing performance. It wasn't. It was. A, I didn't it was say a, it was amazing. It was a. It was a good performance. Um, yeah, it was. They, a good you know, they they did they did okay. They uh, they didn't really you know they didn't really play any amazing football. Most of their chances come from from dead balls or from crosses. It wasn't through, you know, incredible team moves or anything, you know, but they, they deserve to win. They won. Um, still, though, their inability to create and score a open play is a huge issue. That that, that doesn't change. Uh, uh, they, they just, they've got the three points. It's a start. They've got Empoli and Lecce next. That's a good run of it. They've had a great run of fixtures even to before today. Before the Milan game, they had a great run of fixtures. They didn't get the results. But they have to get six points in these next two games against Empoli and Lecce. Nothing to yeah. do with Allegri. Nothing to regard. Just it's nothing to do with Allegri's future. They need to win this game. They just need it in order to get in the back back in the top four race because they're not going to get it back in the top four, four race unless they win all those games. Because then they play into oh, they need to win, um, the Champions League has gone, so they have to concentrate on the league now. I mean, the only other thing I would say is that maybe the Europa League could be a path back to the Champions League. I mean, I just don't see them playing well enough to win that competition. No chance, but. They're better off being in it with at least having another tournament there to, to possibly get back in the Champions League because they might Look, th- they might I need think... every they might need every route they can get you know yeah no no I I think they look it depends on if if Allegri you know I think he has lost parts of the dressing room the question remains how many how big those parts are uh, if if this continues these results continue and. And he can, you know, they can get a string, a string of wins together and they can even make it to, you know, they beat Benfica and PSG. I still don't think that'll be enough to go through to the Champions League next round because I think Benfica will easily see off Maccabi Haifa. They, they just need a win, uh, Benfica, and then they're through. Uh, Juve need, to, it's, it's not in Juve's hands anymore after that defeat against Maccabi Haifa. So I think they'll at most get to the Europa League. But regardless, I, I, I think... That it's we'll we'll definitely know by you know over the next few weeks if Allegri actually has lost the the entire dressing room or just some parts of it, and 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 the results and performances will 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 will, will answer that. And if he hasn't, then I don't think they will sack him. 
Uh, I think if if they were to sack him, they or or if he were to leave, I don't think he will be sacked. I think he would resign for the best of Juventus just before the world after the last game before the World Cup, and and then Juve will proceed from then on. Um, but look, it was the kind of performance from a Juve perspective that you wanted to see the attitude in terms of the the the, the players didn't look. Um, the, the attitude was right. They didn't look jaded. They didn't look like they didn't care. Like they, which they did against Maccabi Haifa, by the way. They, they, they didn't. They looked like eleven individuals who didn't give a shit. That, that's how it looked like. Yeah. But against against Torino, they didn't. They actually looked like a team. They looked aggressive. They looked assertive. There are problems there, of course. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. We have to. We have I to. Just, we have to counter that though with Torino, um, because Torino. Just before we part. go to that, I just wanted. I just wanted to go before we go to that. Bremer's injury, that is a worry, I think. That is, yeah. and also I saw Vlaovic limping too. Those two, those things are a worry. And if that's the, if they both end up missing. I think Vlaovic is missing. okay. I think Vlaovic is okay. Yeah. But Bremer is, the, Bremer is the concern. He's having tests today. Um, yeah. And that there is, there is, a, there is talk that he could, be, he could be out to the World Cup, maybe. Well, that is, um, that is genuinely disconcerting. Because yeah. if you're going to play a back three, Brem is going to is is the is the pillar of that defence. He is the mm. backbone. He's the one. That In fact, Juventus have seen. just announced. Juventus have just announced he's out for twenty days. Okay. Well, that's no good. That, that's, that's so, so that means worry. he that but, means he misses the Inter game as well. Yeah, I still think he'll play against Inter, but um, we'll see. We'll see. But Empoli and Lecce, regardless of Bremer, they should be able to win that. They they should be able to win both of those. Um, and and maybe maybe this this against Benfica and, and and PSG this this hampers and maybe they finish last but then they've only got the league to worry about so I don't know it's um it's that that's not a good that's not good news at all Bremer is fundamental to Juve playing three five two he's the backbone of that of that defense so that's not good news at all yeah um yeah no. It's... I agree. Um, Torino, Torino, though we we have to we have to look at Torino because Ivan Juric looks and but based on some of his quotes in the last couple of games, he, he looks like he's um, he's he's pretty much consigned to well, I'll I'll see out this season and and then that's it. You know, I think he's and I think he's we, right. I think we saw what happened in the summer. Um, you know, Torino. You can say what you want about Juventus. Torino were absolutely dreadful in this game. They were completely toothless. Everything that we want to, we want that I've criticised Allegri for in terms of, you know, just not having anything, not being able to construct anything as a team. Torino, you know, Torino, that was Torino in this game, which is strange because the week before they they created a lot, um, but and they were unlucky against was it Empoli, um, but in this game they were they were they were horrible. Um, and I think that as much as we have praised Juric a lot, you know, and I think he's an excellent coach. But if there is one criticism about Juric, um, is he doesn't he he doesn't know how to get the best out of attacks. He, you know, you look at the, the amount of goals that his team score. Um, you look at Torino's number of goals they've scored this season, uh, and you look at the number of goals they scored and the chances they created last season for Torino. Uh, and you know, it says it all. They've scored eight goals this season in. In ten games, um, that is the second, sorry, third lowest in Serie A this season. Uh, and if you look at, uh, I haven't got it on hand here. If you look at the numbers from last season, um, you know they were they were among the worst uh, offensively in Serie A last season as well. Now, 
part of that could be down to just a lack of top attackers. Um, it's one hundred percent down to that. Look but, at that squad. But Look they at what had, he's playing with. Yeah, well, they had Belotti last season, and you know they had. Well, others. no, they you had. Know? They didn't have Belotti last season. He was injured for most of it, and then he tried to work himself back. And then he did, obviously didn't want to extend his contract, so he didn't. You know, it, it was he has he to take. He has to away. take. The, he has to take a, a large share of the blame for, for Torino. I disagree. Torino's, with that. I Torino's disagree. attacking. No, I disagree. I disagree with that one hundred percent. Because if they weren't creating chances, if they weren't create having, as you like to say, patterns of play, if they didn't have an identity, then I'd agree with you. Torino have an identity. The problem is they have absolute dreadful, dreadful players up front. Um, and, and that's not a structural issue. That's a qualitative issue. And that's down to to Cairo and and the sporting director and, and, and them not getting along and not being able to to bring in the players that that, that are needed to, to for him to succeed. And I think he's absolutely right. I, I fully support his what he says. And he says, you know, I'm doing this season that I'm out. And I think he's, he deserves it because he's been very patient, incredibly patient. He's tried to make it work, um, and and it's just not working for him. And 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 I think and, and I, no, I, I I I'm I'm not there yet. If if Torino don't even create chances, if they don't even have anything, if they didn't have an identity, I'd agree with you on that. But they do, but they just can't seem to convert. And so I I think it's a qualitative issue. I really do. Uh, I think the question. I think there are question marks there with him. I mean, I'm looking at his. I'm looking at his goals scored by his Verona team in 2019-20, and they finished ninth, which is great, which is a fantastic achievement. I'm not taking away his ability as a manager. I'm talking about his ability as an attacking manager in scoring goals and creating chances. But you have to look uh, at the squad as well. Verona scored 47. That is the fourth, third, third worst in Serie A that season with Verona. Um, you know, so I think there's definitely there's definitely enough evidence from his time at Torino and Verona to at least ask the question mark about um, about how well his teams do in attack. Of course, the players come into it, but I think there definitely is. I think there's definitely that question mark with him, and that's something that if he wants to make it a top team, he definitely will need to find a solution for. Mm, I don't know. I, I think you need to have better players than than he's got, and and that, that attack. That Torino for sure, better players, but you know, if it one season, fine. But when you do it, you know, we're talking about three seasons well, he here, four seasons. Hellas. Four seasons. Look, what did he have at Hellas? I mean, look at what he's got to do, what he's got to deal with here. I mean, the, the players that he's got, he's got them overperforming as a team. He builds a structure, but he's not had to deal with a good, decent quality striker. He's, he's got Pellegrini starting at Torino. I mean, what are we doing here? It's uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm waiting to to see on to, to see that. I want to see him. I want to see him work with an actual good striker, a good. But he had Belotti. He had Belotti. You, you Belotti was injured you, for you, six. Well, yeah, but Belotti, Belotti with half a knee who, who, for six who, months. For, for, for what it's worth, I don't think Belotti's anywhere near being a top player. For what it's worth, I disagree with you there completely. But he had I don't Belotti. Think he's a top you know. player. I think he's a good player. But, but but the thing that last season was Belotti was injured for about 15, 20 games. And then when he came back and was back to full fitness, his contract was expiring. He knew he wasn't going to extend. And he was obviously not motivated to stay there. He just wanted to see out his contract to secure a next deal. So it was there was nothing Juric could do. I mean, the, the situation and the facts of the matter have to condition it. If he had been at Lazio and he got nothing out of them, with Ciro Immobile, who scored... Who's on? Who's writing history? Then, then I'd be with you. But he's not. Yeah. He's, he doesn't have that. 
Well, we'll see how he does. Guy. We'll see how he does with Roma. I mean, he hasn't scored a Serie A goal this season, and you know, so no. I'm, I'm talking about Juric. I'm talking about oh, Juric. Juric. Okay, so yeah, as, as for Belotti, as for Belotti, yeah, I, I think uh, I think Belotti might have. Uh, I hope that he succeeds. I think he's a good player. I don't think he's a world class player by any stretch of the imagination. I do think he's a he's a good good player, and and I think he could. I think he needs to play, but he's not being played at Roma, and, and so we'll see what happens. But. But no, I I think if 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 as for Juric, you need you can't expect him to score more when he's got Sanabria and Pellegrini up front. I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen. Well, maybe yeah, but I mean he's got Radonjic, he's got Vlasic, he's got you know he's got players there. Mm. I I just think I I just think you can look at the players to an extent, and I agree with you. But you know, you know he's he he had a, he had attackers last season. He had Belotti, mm. even if it wasn't all the season. And they're, they're, you know, he, they're not. He, he that's something he needs to improve on. Whether it's the players or not, he needs to be scoring more goals. Uh, until he does score more goals, then this is this is the conclusion we have to make. Um, okay, right. Uh, la, 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 la. Let just very very quickly, Moisa Kane. Um, so for what we want to say about Juventus' performance, he was he was horrendous again. He he had one of the misses of the season. I think we yeah, are every dreadful. every Juventus fan was Philip Kostic. Um, if you see, if you see uh, if you see Philip Kostic's reaction when he when he put it on a plate for Hakeem, he put the ball across the box and he kind of just like side footed it, well miles wide. But if you just look at the angle in which he connected with it, it's just like the way he positioned his body to to side foot it with such conviction that that is where the goal was. It's like he went full in to side foot it. It's like he come charging in and went to side foot it, and the goal was like it was like the goal was like eight yards to the right of him. But he like it was like he was certain that the guts where the goal was when he when he <laughs> side footed it, and and that kind of like I think that sums up Moisa Keane. And, and yeah, I mean it's it's, a, it's funny really because I mean he's got he's got no goals this season, uh, Keane, two goals in twenty twenty two, and you know this is a player who. A bit like Lukman, actually. You know, he was regarded as a wonder kid when he emerged mm. at Juventus in 2018-19. Remember that end of the season when Juventus overhauled uh, Napoli at the end of that season, Allegri's yeah. last season, his first spell. Uh, he scored seven goals at the end of that, of that that season. And every Juventus fan was going crazy with him, which, well, not every fan, but most Juventus fans were going absolutely crazy, which is something that Juventus fans often do when they have a homegrown <laughs> player or a young player. They just, they just, they just. It's not just Juventus fans. Well, football yeah, it's fans something generally. Football, all football fans, not even just yeah. all Serie fans, but it's, it's something. No, it's one it's of a my football fan. It's thing. one of my pet hates that how people just o- they over exaggerate. Oh, it's a youngster. Oh, he's oh, homegrown. He automatically. Yeah, autom- yeah, that's it. Automatically, that that player must be must must be destined for greatness. Now. I never saw it with Kane during that spell. Mm. I, I never saw it. I just saw as somebody that was just hustling and, and scored some goals, and and you know it was, it was playing in a team that was full of cha- you know a lot of champions, even though they were declining. And you know he he, he just went. He got hot, a bit like Paloski, you know, the, 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 from Milan. Yeah, Cutrone. <laughs> yeah, Cutrone. Yeah, Paloski, Cutrone. You know these kind of players. They just kind of got hot, went on a good little run. Uh, I th- and I remember when Juventus sold into Everton that summer for thirty million. I was I I said at the time that is an amazing deal. You know, this is somebody that has been critical of Juventus's business, and I was like, that is a superb deal, and Juventus will be proven right on that. And he was. It's been a weird one to analyze him since because he was terrible at Everton, uh, but then he went to PSG, and he he did quite well at PSG. 
Um, he, he had quite a good goal scoring record, but obviously he was playing in a in a team with, you know, aliens like Neymar and, and Mbappe and Verratti. And, you know, he was playing in a, in a team that completely dominate their league. So I guess it's quite easy to score goals there. But he did pretty well. And PSG actually wanted to keep him. But then for some reason, I think for financial reasons, they were getting quoted too much. And Juventus brought him back. And and it's frustrating because Juventus threw away all that profit that they, that they, that they made through selling him to 30 million to Everton. They then brought him back, I think, for just, just over 30 million. So they threw that all away. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we've seen we've seen how he's been in the 15, 16 months since he's come back. I mean, I've re- read out those stats. Um, he's been awful. Um, you know, Allegri, okay, Allegri doesn't develop players, so maybe he could be slightly better than he has shown. Um, maybe. If he had, if he had a manager. Impressed. But I don't, I don't know how much better he could have been because I look at him and I just think, yeah, he's got some good physical attributes. He's quick. He's he's pretty strong. He could maybe be developed into someone that can hold up the board, even though his first touch can be pretty dreadful sometimes, most of the time. He can, he does have that frame that he can kind of hold it up, which so maybe with work, maybe he can develop into into a, into a bit of a bruiser of a striker, maybe. But can, I don't know. Can you see him? No, Can you see I don't. Making... I'm sorry. I don't. I think he's a mediocre player. That doesn't mean he's dreadful or I think he's a Serie B or a Serie C or anything like that. No, I think he's a he's a mid-table, maybe Europa League level uh, Serie A player. There's nothing wrong with that. You, don't, you disagree Everyone... with Pavel Nedved then, who said that he could be 25 to 30 goals a season player last season. He said that. Yes, I profoundly disagree with Pavel Nedved on that. I don't yeah. think he's a 25, 30 goal, goal player a season. I did. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't think. I, I thought he he had bursts against Torino, where he linked up well with Vlaovic. Um, but overall, it just it wasn't good um, at all. And I think this was a chance, a missed opportunity by him. Um, in my opinion, because Juve played well, they looked good, but he he had a chance to 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 cement and show what he's made of, and he failed. And I think that's that. that I think it's both a qualitative issue, and I think it's a mental issue. If I'm perfectly yeah. honest, yeah, I just yeah, I think it. also think he's one of those players who you get it at, at some, you get it a lot actually with young players, and everyone that's played football can can um, can relate to this at any level, that you get some players at a young age, certainly in their teenage years, who are just more developed than others. You know, they've grown quicker. They've, they've, you know, they, they, I remember when, I remember when I was 10 years old, nine, 10 years old, and I first started playing 11-a-side football. And I remember, I remember at nine, 10 years old, we were playing with this guy. I'm not going to say out his name, I'm going to say his name, but he, he was, he was already about six foot three at the age well, of 10 years old. And he had a moustache, a ten, massive moustache at 10 years old, like a full-blown, like, scouser moustache. And <laughs> and, he, and he was just... He wasn't a very good footballer. He wasn't a very good footballer. He, he didn't have any, really any technique. He was, very, he was fast and strong. He was very fast, very fast and He had a good left foot. But he was just, you know, he was like a 16-year-old in a 10-year-old's body. And he scored like 70, 80 goals, something like that. And he got signed by Chelsea. He became a Chelsea youth player. And I remember saying at the time, I said, that guy won't make it as a footballer. He, he might do all right then. But as soon as everybody else catches up with him and, he be, and the, you know, everybody grows into their bodies, you know, he, and by the age of like 14, 13, 14, Chelsea had released him. And 
I remember later on, he, he couldn't even, he was he, by the age of like 17, 18, he was barely even playing at Sunday league level. He couldn't even barely get into a, into like a third division team at Sunday league level. And that, that kind of, yeah, that happens even at this level. You know, Moise Keane, I think, was just somebody that was a lot faster and stronger, had physically the attributes at a young age to, that made him this wonder kid. But when he became a man and he was playing alongside men, he didn't, wasn't refined and have the technique and the, like the, the the game intelligence, I think, is definitely very lacking with Moise Keane. As I joked that time, he's he's somebody that he never looks up. You know, I, I joked. You know, he's the you don't want to go in a car with him driving because he doesn't. He never looks up. You know, he's he's head down all the time. And and yeah, it so reminds I, me of that. It reminds me of um, a Dutch philosopher Erasmus saying, you know, in the kingdom of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. I mean, when you're like 10 years old and you've developed more than every one of your peers, you're, yeah. all, you're going to have an advantage just simply yeah. by your physique. That all levels up, that, that all evens out and, and you have to have skill to succeed, uh, yeah. you know, uh, unless you're Jan Koller. But I think football has passed, passed from that, you know, era where, where you're looking like a, like a Czech nightclub bouncer. Like, like, or an orc. <laughs> He's, I used to call him the orc. He's like an orc from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Ha- Harland, ha- Harland is the new orc. Harland looks like an orc. Yeah, but Harland. Harland. Harland actually has has ability. I think you know he's no, more no. than yeah. just. Young Collar yeah. was just literally. Yeah. He looked like the, he he's, looked like the he looked Harland like a nightclub an, bouncer at a nightclub yeah. where you don't get receipts. Do you know what I mean? Like the kind of the kind yeah. of place where it's cash only <laughs> and it's after hours and there's probably you know muff, muff my kind of place. It's cash only. Yeah, exactly. You know, where, my kind of place. Like, he looks like he looks like he runs uh, like a like like that that kind of you know he's huge and but but Holland actually is a football player. Um, yeah. But he's also fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's, yeah. Holland is an orc and an elf. He's got the skill of an yeah. elf, you know, precision <laughs> of, a, of an elf with the mm. what's his name, the one with the bow, uh, Le- uh, Pegasus, yeah. not Pegasus, yeah. Legolas, Legolas, Legolas with Legolas, the bow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've just started watching actually the new, the new. Uh, have you watched the new series of? Um, no, because they got the nothing to do with J.R.R. Tolkien's books. Oh, you one of those? Complete... Oh, okay. Well, of course, it's it got nothing yeah. to do with with Lord of the Rings. You can call it what you want, but it's not Lord of the Rings. It's a complete, you know. It's 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 got nothing to do with Lord of the Rings. It's, 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 it's not made from the up. books, then. No, it's not because the, the, the author of the book wrote the books or the the yeah. book, and yeah. it's this is just let's make money off it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure okay. it's good, but it's not. It's not. Lord I watched. Of the Rings. The, I watched. The, I watched the first episode and I, I fell asleep halfway through, but I was tired that day. But it's 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 <laughs> it's, 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 it's it's okay. It's it's all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with yeah, it. I'm sure it's all right. How, I'll see how it goes. I'm sure it's entertaining. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, let's let's move on from orcs and and elves <laughs> to, uh, to to um, to Inter. Inter are back. Uh, Barella. Barella no, is back, um, right? Is Barella is back? Maybe Barella. Inter are not back. Inter are, are 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 on the way to returning from Crisisville, but they're not out of the woods just yet. But Barella is is looking starting to look like the player who was at his best. When when he's he's not at his best yet. There's so much left to do. He still misplaces simple things, makes silly mistakes. He still doesn't. He still looks like he's got at least thirty percent left until he hits until he hits top form, peak form. But he's scoring important goals. He's making important assists. He's winning the ball high up. He's starting to look like himself again, uh, and that's really really important. But the most important thing, Hakan Chalanoglu. Look, um, what. 
what has Simone Inzaghi unearthed here? The replacement to Mars, I mean, is there, you know, last season and what's been true of the last few years, seasons is Marcelo Brozovic, when he's not on the pitch, Inter don't function. He's not the best player at Inter, but he's the most fundamentally important player. That's no longer true because Hakan Chalanoglu has replaced him brilliantly, simply brilliantly um, as a regista. And, you know, the answer to the question is, is there is there life uh, without or after Brozovic? And the answer is, yes, Hakan, Hakan be thy name. It's He's been, he was a, he was fantastic against in both games against La Barcelona. And they're, they're, they've got a pretty decent central midfield with Gavi, Pedri and Busquets. And he was outstanding against Salernitana. Got a standing ovation when he came off. Um, and to me, he's look. It's 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 it was it was so important to see how he's growing into that role. And I wonder. I mean, at this rate, you know, Brozovic. Um, you know, does he get his? You know, of course, he's the preferred choice there. But it's not going to be easy for him to just waltz back into the team as it's been these past four or five years. That's no longer true. Um, he's going to have to fight for it, and that's good for Inter. Inter finally have competition. Could Brozovic still play as a Metzala, or is that is those days I, behind? Past I now? what I would like to do is do what Antonio Conte did with his Eriksen, Brozovic, Barella midfield, when they all three of them could play in all three midfield positions. That's what I want with with Brozovic returns with Hakan and Barella. I want Inzaghi to to in game. Change them around to make it difficult, so that play, so that when when Juventus and Allegri put, you know, used to used to it was it was you could set you watch after it when Juventus play Inter, Kulusevski was played to man Mark Brozovic. That is that with with Hakan. If you have Hakan doing that, then you know that that makes Inter look much more easier to read and much more easier to do, much more difficult to to read and much more difficult to to disrupt. And I think I would like to see the three of them have these positional shifts like Conte's Inter did. I think Inter are at their best when the three of them can interpret all three midfield roles to to a really good degree. The three of them are very similar in the sense that they are very mobile, they cover a lot of space, uh, they're very energetic, they're good with the ball, they're good passers. So I would like to see that. Um, I would like to see that um, against uh, moving forward when Brozovic returns. Because there's no doubt that Brozovic gets into the team. The question is, which position? And I think that I'd like to see them, I'd, I'd like to see him run forward and move forward um, and, and be much more, you know, dynamic moving forward than just be a deep line playmaker. I think you have to, I think that's a trait of modern football that you can't just have one, you know, the, the Pirlo Gattuso Ambrosini, where you have the artist and then you have the two water carriers. You can't. I don't think you can't do that in modern football. I think your midfield, especially your central midfielders, have to be able to do a little bit of everything, um, and, and and I think that's that's the key moving forward. But other than that, um, Lautaro was scored a good goal, but he missed a couple of sitters as well, which is kind of what we spoke about um, the consistency in terms of goal scoring. That's a problem, and he showed that. But Inter were comfortable; they were never threatened. It was a day at the office. Um, and 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 they it was you know it, they're they're starting to 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 work themselves back now. Fiorentina on the weekend, and then Victoria Pilsen, and then Sampdoria, three wins there, and then we can say Inter are back because then they would have secured the second spot in the Champions League, and then they would have beaten an actual top nine team or 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 a, or a team that was tipped to be in the top seven, top nine, um, and and also a dreadful Sampdoria. So. 
then we can say that, okay, Inter are no longer in crisis. But for now, mm. it's too soon. Okay, fair enough. Right. Um, the rest of Serie A, very, very quickly. So Lazio drew with Udinese. Um, nil-nil. Goal is draw, yeah. Providel, I think, because I think Providel is the man to single out from this. Yeah. He made he, he made <laughs> he made key saves, and he's been a real surprise. What is going he, on? He wasn't even signed to be their first choice no. goalkeeper, was he? <laughs> he wasn't, and he's now kept five clean sheets, um, and he's got the highest save percentage, and he's in the Italian national team. It's like. What their first choice goalkeeper, who they spent big money on, he doesn't get in the side. Their backup goalkeeper is in the Italian national team as a backup goalkeeper because he's been so good. Yeah. It's crazy, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a huge, huge surprise. A huge, huge surprise. Um, I didn't think. Yeah, it was draw. Probably was a fair result in, in yeah. this game, but I think there's not really much to say about this game. Uh, that's the Indonesia. They, they're still they're still up there. They've still both only lost. One game this season. They both had great starts to the season. Lazio got that negative result in the in Europe, and I think the Lazari sending off really cost them in that. So, yeah, yeah you need them. They need to. They need, they need to have a strong end to that Europa League group. Otherwise, they're, they're yeah, they risk going out. Um, elsewhere, we had Spezia two, Cremonese two. Uh, Cremonese this season have. Their expected points, they've they really have underperformed. They 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 just mm. it's been strange watching them because even against Napoli the, the week before they they were good value for a draw for, for for a long period of that and then they just got blown away at the at the end and they probably feel like they definitely will feel they should have won this game as well. Um, and then Empoli beat Monza uh, beat Monza one nil, deservedly so as well. By the way, mm. yeah. Putting an end yeah. to the three-game win stretch that Paladino's been on at Monza, hasn't he? So, but I mean, it's it was an important win for Empoli, uh, Cremonese, and uh, Spezia. The, these are teams that I worry might get get um, relegated, both of them. Or I think Cremonese will finish last. I wonder if Spezia can stay up. Yeah, yeah, I, I still think uh, I still think January will determine everything with the, the January transfer market will determine, will determine everything with that with that. Absolutely. And there's a lot of teams that could go down. Um, okay, just before we finish off with Badger and Prem face of the week, so it's uh, Ballon d'Or day today. Um, we're recording this mid afternoon, and I think the Ballon, Ballon d'Or ceremony starts at eight thirty Central European time, seven thirty UK time. Um, Mid-afternoon Eastern time. Karim Benzema is going to win. Is going to win the Ballon d'Or. Uh, it's we know already. Um, well, I hope just, so because he deserves it. I mean, he's won it. He's, he's yeah. Try he's, giving he's, that to Lionel Messi. I mean, it's like for goodness oh, actually, sake. Messi's not even on the not even on the shortlist this year. Surprisingly. Oh my god! Yeah, oh, god. Not some. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody must have. I don't know. They must have. They must have. I don't know how they the, have the, the, the extra ballots. Somebody lost the the, the extra ballots. Yeah, the missing yeah, guarantee like ballots. Something that yeah. happens. Um, so basically, what I want to what I want to ask is, Serie A hasn't won uh, a Ballon d'Or for a long, long time. The, the last time was Kaká in two thousand and seven, off the back of 
Milan winning the the Champions League that year, and he deservedly won that. He deservedly won the Ballon d'Or that year. Um, which Serie A? I want to look at which Serie A an Italian player has the best chance of winning the Ballon d'Or in the future. I think we know realistically that it's going to be very very difficult for a player to win the Ballon d'Or while playing in Serie A as a current Serie A player. I think the only time that was ever going to happen is if Italy won the Euros or the World Cup. They obviously, they won the Euros in, in 2020 or rather last year and and Jorginho, but he was playing in the Premier League. Um, if they were to win the World Cup, obviously not in the World Cup this year and you know there's a top Italian player that, that is a key player, then they maybe they could win the let's just say 2026 or maybe Euro 2024 there's a you know a, a slight chance maybe they could win they could win it that year but the, the chances of a current Serie A player winning the Ballon d'Or is going to be very very difficult because it would need an Italian team to win the 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 Champions League the Champions which League. Yeah. is going to be very difficult we can all dream about Napoli but realistically <laughs> we know it's going to be very going to be almost impossible so I guess we're we're looking really at Italian players, so, so somebody that's maybe playing abroad, or we're looking at a current Serie A player that can get a big move to maybe the Premier League or to you know Real Madrid or Barcelona or someone, and then maybe win it there in the next years. So let's run down the list. Uh, who who do you think has a, has a chance is a is a potential <clears throat> Ballon d'Or winner in the future? Just based on his individual skill and his numbers and the way that he's, or both of them, two players stand out for me. Based on who they are, the the position they have on the pitch, the style of play, how they beat their man, um, <clears throat> their output in terms of goals, Kvitscha, Kvaratschelia and Rafael Leao, they're the ones that stand out for me. But I wonder how long they'll stay in the Serie A. Um, because I think that unless Liao extends his contract, I think he's gone in the summer, and we know that should someone lose their mind and pay stupid money to Aurelio de la Rentis for Quaratschelia, he's gone. You know, that's just how he operates. Um, but those are the main two contenders for me. I, I've got a question mark around, Federi- around Federico Chiesa because that's a serious injury. Can he come back? Can he come back to the same level? Will he, you know, doesn't he risk pulling, you know, injuring his other knee after an injury yeah. like that. I've got question marks. And also he needs um, to leave Juventus. <laughs> oh, God. Um, he's he's not going to win the Ballon d'Or with Juventus. Juventus is not winning the Champions League. They're not even getting in the Champions League. So, <laughs> so, so oh, you'd have, have to leave them. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, I think in terms of pure talent, Chiesa, Chiesa does have the talent to maybe challenge for it, but he would, yeah, obviously the injury is going to set him back. Uh, the other, the only, I mean, Vlaovic, I'm not sure, um, to be honest. Um, I think that Vlaovic, as a pure goal scorer, as, as, uh, and I really am a big believer in how far this guy can go. I think he's always going to have someone. I think Mbappe and Haaland, as goal scorers as well, uh, even though there's more to, certainly more to Mbappe's game than just being a goal scorer. I think those two are always, and they're similar age to him, same age as him. They're always going to be. I think a step ahead, just a step half a step ahead of him at, at the least. So I think for that reason, every single year it's going to be like, well, Vlaovic, are you better than Mbappe or, or Haaland this year? And I think the answer will nearly always be no, certainly to both of them. And for that reason, I, I wouldn't put Vlaovic in there. But you know, you never know. 
Uh, the Lautaro, I, I think, again, I think he's he's a step be- below the, the very elite like Haaland and, and Mbappe. Um, and I don't I don't see him being able to reach the, the very highest level like maybe Cavara can. And maybe Look, if Rafael Lautaro Leal. Martinez, the only way Lautaro Martinez will get can, can win the Ballon d'Or is if Argentina win the World Cup this year and he's the top goal scorer. Um, scoring like not eight, nine goals. Then I think yeah, but can... then they'll, they'll give it to Messi. So well, exactly. That's what it's that's exactly give it to Messi. Messi will Messi, give it to Messi. Messi will go there. Messi will be injured matter. on the. Messi will be injured on the bench for the whole the whole tournament. If Argentina if, win the, if Argentina Argentina win the World, World Cup, Cup yeah. Messi, Messi is, is winning the, the World Cup Golden Boot Ball. Uh, and he's winning. <laughs> and he's winning the Ballon d'Or. I mean, it doesn't even matter if he plays on the if plays a minute on the of, of football in Qatar. If Argentina win the World Cup, they're going to give the Ballon d'Or to Messi, and that's yeah. that. So it doesn't matter what yeah. Lautaro does. <laughs> but if Argentina win the World Cup, and I think they will, uh, um, if he becomes a top goal scorer, if he becomes the most important player of that Argentina side, which I think there's a good chances for him to be, then then I do think that we'll we'll see a. We'll we'll see. He has a good chance, but if we're talking in terms of club football, he needs to stop being patchy. Like he needs to stop going yeah. eight, nine goals, games without scoring in order for him to mm. to to become uh, amongst those. Uh, you know, to be considered amongst them, the highest. The yeah, for sure. The, the only other one I could make an argument for is Donnarumma in goal because he's so superhuman. But we know that goalkeepers just don't win the Ballon d'Or, and the last one to win it was Levi Yashin in. Was it 1963 or 1964? <laughs> you know, so we're talking about 60 years. And, and you know, so I, I think it's it's unlikely. And the only the only other kind of world beat, I mean, Verratti, but, you know, they're not going to give it to a central midfielder that doesn't score and gets, doesn't get many assists, even if he's the best central midfielder and the best player in the world. If he was, they won't give it to him. So, yeah, I think um, I think those are the, the, the ones that maybe we can we can keep an eye on. Okay, right. Let's finish off with Bad Joe and Prem Face of the Week. Bad Joe, who you got? Um, I've got uh, Napoli's goal scoring is the Bad Joe of the Week. It's insane for all the reasons we outlined. I mean, it's it's just... the And it's not just the goal scoring, it's the way they attack. They hurt you in so many ways. And one thing I've seen from Karatschelia that Spalletti's probably told him to do He's playing a bit more centrally now. He's not just a winger. He, 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 in game, he's on the wing, but he also's overloading the spaces centrally, and and beating his man there as well. It's it's genuinely a, it's so interesting to see um, what, how how they attack. And I mean, Zielinski hit the crossbar and they score. I mean, you saw it at four point four five eight four eight xg. I mean, it's it's just Spalletti came up with a great quote, and this is something that I've been saying for years, and I. I pretty much come up with the same quote um, myself probably a couple of years ago or so is that but I'll read out his exact quote he goes systems no longer exist in football it's all about the spaces left by the opposition you must be quick to spot them know the right moment to strike and have the courage to start the movement even when pressed mm. um, which is basically saying that there's no such thing as a formation anymore rigid formations and this has been my whole criticism of well first of all of Mourinho uh, and then more recently in more recent years of Allegri in that when you have a specific system, even if you change it, which which Allegri often does from game to game, if you've got a, a, a specific system, you can't have your players stay, stay in rigid places. If you're a right back, you stay at right back all the time. You don't go 
cross the halfway line, don't move in field. You always stay in that position. If you're if you're a central midfielder, you stay in the centre of the midfield. If you're a left winger, you always hug the touchline on the left. That's not how football works now. Football, you know, there's no such thing as a formation or a system. It's all about the spaces. And so Spalletti... Well, it's the I think fluidity, that, isn't it? It's yeah. the fluidity. And it's like I said about inter-central midfield under Conte. Conte is very fluid. He goes from a 3-5-2 to a 4-2-4. You have the same thing with Liverpool and Klopp. You have Guardiola as kind of masterminded this, hasn't he? I mean, it's it's just constant movement. Um, yeah. So the fluidity of the formation is absolutely, I think, the, the future. Or it's already here. It's not even the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. <clears throat> Prem face, Prem face of the week. Um, quite a lot, as <sighs> always. Um, I've, I've got one. I've got two, actually. But have you got well, one? Well, uh, you can go with them because I agree with both of them. <laughs> I know I do. Okay. Okay. Do you know what my Gary Neville one is about? Well, I, I think so. But Okay. Go. It's about the Qatar thing, about him being El Comandante, <laughs> the, the great socialist, and and oh, yeah. te- teaching us all about you know morals, morals. And, and and everything, and, and then and there he is, you know, he goes and takes the money to to work for Qatar State TV. Now I've got no problem with with you know I'm not here telling people not to go to the World Cup play well because in my in my opinion, you know, if you want to talk about human rights in Qatar. You can also you're gonna if you're gonna go down that road about human rights in Qatar and don't get me wrong it's you know what's happening with the stadiums and, and everything and some of the you know the laws in that country okay I'm gonna condemn them but if you're gonna start talking about that then we can start talking about the World Cup being held in in America we can start talking about the World Cup being held in England we can talk about the supposed you know the, the most developed exactly. of countries you know create you know so once you go down that rabbit hole exactly then, you know. You can never exactly. stop. So I'm never. Go- I'm never gonna. I'm never gonna sit there. You know. Of course, there's always. There's always. A, there's always a line. <laughs> there's always mm. levels. There's always different levels to everything. Um, mm. But you know, I think with Gary Neville, he he just definitely he comes across very much as a massive hypocrite in the sense that he goes out of his way to try and be this moral arbiter and be this great socialist who who you know is for which the people, he isn't. Ma- man which of the people. He isn't. Which which, he, which he's all which has always been fake, you know. Same with Gary Lineker. Gary Lineker is exactly the worst. Anybody that knows Gary Lineker's secrets uh, will, will, will tell you. Uh, the people in the media know about him. Um, you know, he he's he's absolutely uh, he's another example, classic virtue signaler. Mm. Uh, and and you know, so Gary Neville taking this job um, to work for Qatar State TV while condemning all the things you know that he does. <laughs> um, I just found that hilarious. Yeah. I also have a second one. I have a second one, and that is Craig Burley. <laughs> Craig Burley, who he definitely comes across as the most bitter man I've I've seen on TV. <laughs> really bitter person. And so there there was discussion on. Oh, I'm not trying to think which TV work network he works for now. It's ESPN, uh, isn't it? ESPN. Sorry, yeah, ESPN. So he was. They were having a discussion in the studio about about um, the Milan game. And uh, the Tamori incident, the Tamori, you know, penalty and and um, red card against uh, Chelsea for the foul on, uh, or supposed foul on um, on uh, Mason Mount, and you know Craig Burley, you could go onto YouTube and find it, and it's so he just, funny. He, he just then goes off on a rant about how Serie A Serie A fans are the biggest whingers and they always complain and they should just all shut up and. But it's not so much what he said, which was which was bad enough. He's like it was more the case of 
is how he said that, the bitterness in which he said it. Like you could tell this was someone that really hates Serie A, like really mm. hates it with a passion. And, and you know, it's just, yeah, just just like shut up. Just just sort out your teeth. <laughs> sort sort <laughs> no, out your teeth. No, but it's it's so funny as well because, like, it, it's he, – he all – I mean – it's it's this notion that the ref you can't it's it's, it's this notion he invents a new rule that has never been true this rule that you can never you can't criticize the referee or 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 that if you do it's only when Craig Burley decides you're allowed to criticize the referee like what are you talking about it was an absolutely it was absolutely a contentious decision mm-hmm. uh, everyone is everyone is talking about it and it's not just Serie A fans I've seen on social media actually most Premier League fans were were outraged over it as well, saying this is this was a horrible decision because it no, was I a watched horrible it on B- decision. Yeah, I watched it on BT Sport, and to be fair, even the commentators on BT yeah. Sport, who who are the pundits anyway, are are, are usually extremely pro Premier League and anti foreigners, <laughs> Serie A. <laughs> um, you know, they were they were very much in faith. They they were saying it was because uh, it was a uh, bad over, decision. Over it was Savage. a bad call. What's his name? Robbie Savage, who's always like ridiculous yeah. pro Premier League. Even he said it wasn't a penalty, and it was it wasn't a penalty. Shouldn't have been a penalty, yeah. and therefore yeah, a red card. You know. So, so, but that's that's the thing. So, but but I mean, he has to have his agenda. He has to, you know, keep pander to the audience that he thinks you know he wants to create a, you know, a fake a fake conflict to to seem a little bit edgy because it's not just whinging. It was a it was a very justified critique of a very very poor decision. And so his logic, much like the teeth in his mouth, is 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 is, is, is full of crooked. holes. Actually, yeah, it's, not it's, crooked. It's no, 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 yeah, there's, there's just he doesn't Google, have a logic. Yeah, just Google Craig Burley teeth, basically. Yeah. Just, just that's all you need it's to like, do. You know, he, he doesn't. There's no, there's no logic, and there's no teeth. So that was, you know, it's, it's, it go hand in hand in, in this particular. He could be part of the York Army, actually. He could, he could definitely make it. He could definitely be one of the army of orcs. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like no, it, was, it was embarrassing. It was really, really embarrassing, and to, to listen to that kind of, but he did it on. I get why he does it. I mean, they do it because they want to be that kind of a, you know, in in. in I'm not sure he did do it on purpose. I, I I get that impression that he's just always. I don't know if he just tries to play the grump. I don't know because you know. I, he I think he does. Plays on the stereotype, well. the Scottish stereotype. Yeah, they, yeah they exactly. But, I think that's what it is. I think he just wants to. I think it's. I don't know him personally, but I, to me, that whole that whole segment just felt so scripted. Oh, oh and that's oh, great. Yeah, I get oh. it. You know, they whatever they they need their views and whatever. I'm not criticizing. Talking about the holes in his teeth there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it did feel scripted. It really felt scripted because it because was like, why not talk about the actual decision instead? Because well, I know why. Because if you do, you can't, Mister Hardman argue successfully that that's a penalty because it's not uh, it's a bad decision and everybody so so instead he creates the sideshow and has everyone looking at that and talking about that instead of talking about the actual issue which which is that it was a bad decision regardless of who you support and and that's why it was being debated and it wasn't just Serie A fans it was every, everybody was talking about it like you like you said even on BT Sport they were talking about it so you know what are you going to do mm. what are you going to do okay right okay we must leave it there thanks everyone for for your for listening uh, we will be back Tuesday with uh, our Q and A from all our from all our patrons, and then we will be back again on Thursday for the review episode 
of uh, everything that happens in, in midweek. We've got two Serie A games on Monday. We've got some Coppa Italia matches. And then there will be, of course, lots of... Uh, Lots of things to talk about from um, from the next few days, plus previewing the the weekend in in Serie A with a big game between Roma and Napoli, and that's the that's a huge huge game for the the Scudetto race. So plenty to look forward to. Until then, ciao ciao.